You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Well, I want to jump right in and pick up right where we left off uh, at the end of last week. Last week, we talked about being rooted in God's Word. That's the first marker. And I said that the Word of God not only helps us understand the story of our lives, but also allows us to meet the storyteller. It's good to know Psalm 23, but it's even better to know the shepherd. And the difference between the two has to do with our openness to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to tell you a story about this past summer. I was on sabbatical, and we did a family mission trip to Ethiopia. One day, we were hiking along a ridge in the backcountry, and above the sound of the wind, I started to hear another sound. Couldn't quite figure it out, listened more carefully, and over time, I realized that's a voice. That's somebody singing. I kind of dropped back to see if I could see who was singing, and uh, in the distance, I saw a shepherd. I want to show you a picture of a, it's a little girl. Uh, with a flock of sheep behind us. Every time I got close to her, she would slow down. She didn't want to have an encounter with me. She's the little figure there in the center of the frame. You may not be able to see so well. She's dressed in purple. She's obviously a husky. And, uh, and she was singing at just at the top of her lungs. I thought that was so cool. Um, I went around a corner and uh, happened to sit down. I didn't realize it, that, but I was apparently on her path because I sat down and uh, shortly thereafter, the sheep came around the corner, and they surprised me. I thought they'd be scared of me. They came right up next to me and sat down beside me, <laughs> like I was the alpha sheep, you know. And I'm sitting there, and one by one, they come and sit down right next to me until the whole flock is, I'm right in the middle of the flock. And when you're in the middle of the flock, you know what's going to happen next. You're going to meet the shepherd. And sure enough, uh, this little girl comes up. And she chose not to sit next to the white boy, um, uh, took a safe distance over to the side and sat with one of our two Ethiopian guides. Um, but this gave me, a, she was about 20 yards away, so it gave me an opportunity to engage her in conversation. Our guide served as a, as a translator. And I asked him, um, ask her how old she is. And they talked for a minute, and then he said, you know, she doesn't know how old she is. Which I thought, that's kind of interesting. Apparently, a lot of the kids in Ethiopia, they, they don't know how old they are. Uh, he said, but I think she's probably six or seven years old. Can you imagine that? All by herself, out there, all alone, eight, 10, 12 hours a day, just her and the, and the sheep. And then I asked, um, would you ask her about the singing? Because we heard her singing. Um, what's that about? And they talked for a minute. And then he said, well, she's singing a song about lions because she's afraid of lions. And she understands that if she sings this song about lions really loudly, she'll keep the lions away. That was interesting. Then one more question for her. I wanted to know, uh, does she have a favorite sheep? Because I'm thinking, of course, she'll say they're all special in their own way. No, I love them all. <laughs> but that's not what she said, actually. Uh, she pointed at one sitting right next to me. And the guy said, this one that she's pointing at is her favorite sheep. And I said, well, why is that one her favorite? And they talked, and then he said, it's because that one does what she wants. <laughs> I uh, consider myself chastened at that point and rebuked. But you know what I want to try and do? I want to see if I can play a little bit of the singing, because I did make a recording. Some of you won't be able to hear this, but if we get really quiet, you might catch some of her voice. Listen to this.
Isn't that pretty? I was really moved by that. And I thought, the Lord is my shepherd. That's what David says. That was his experience of God. He leads me. And then I thought, Jesus says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. And he's saying, I, I lead you. And then I remember this passage where Jesus says in verse 16, uh, I will uh, ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever, which is his way of saying, I'm going to lead you too. I'm going to lead you. Now, what is it about the sheep? They come up a lot in the Bible. Why sheep? All we are like sheep have gone astray, you know. Some people say it's because sheep are dumb. But I don't, you know, I don't know if that's true or not. And, and uh, the, the Bible doesn't say that's true. I think personally it's about the vulnerability of sheep. Think about it. Sheep can't defend themselves. They have no defense. And a sheep that's alone is a sheep that's at risk. And I think that may be the connection to us. I have days, for example, when I feel overwhelmingly alone. And I happen to have one this past week as I was thinking about this text. I was hold, trying to hold on to too much. I was frankly taking responsibility for too much. I put myself in the center of the universe and I was feeling just physically out of gas, emotionally overwhelmed and deeply uh, discouraged. And if you'd asked me what that's all about, I would say it's just that I feel alone. I, I feel that I'm just not enough. I feel that there's just not enough of me for all that challenges me. And I think that the disciples in that room in John 14 understand this. I think they were going through something very similar. After all, Jesus, their friend of three years, is telling them that he's going to be leaving. This is Monday, Thursday. This is the Thursday before he's crucified. And he can see the distress on their faces. Their courage is draining away. They realize at this moment they are deeply vulnerable. Uh, the danger outside these oil-lit walls is real. There are crowds swarming about in the city of Jerusalem. There are violent Romans. There are self-righteous Pharisees. There are mobs who, are soon, who will soon be crying for blood. And more than that, they know in their own hearts there is this fear of betrayal. Jesus has already looked at them and said, you're going to... You're going to flee. He's looked at Peter and said, Peter, you will deny me three times. I'm not enough. There's just not enough of me for all that challenges me. What about you? I don't know what you're going through, but one of the awesome privileges and burdens of my role is that over the years, I hear a lot of confessions. I've heard your confessions, many of you. I've heard about things that we've done. I've betrayed a friend. I cheated on the test. I took a life. I destroyed a marriage. I injured my child. It's not just things that we've done that I hear about. I, I, I hear about the challenges that we face. Things like I'm brokenhearted. I'm trapped in pornography. I'm abusing meds. I'm the only one who knows it, but I'm absolutely not qualified for the job that I have right now. I've been sexually abused. I'm scared of my own death. I don't even value my own life. 
All these things are indictments that swirl around our hearts against which we have no defense. They're different experiences, but the theme is universal. I'm not enough. And I think the fear behind that is the fear of abandonment. It's that if you really see me as I see myself, you wouldn't like me at all, that you would abandon me, and then I really would be deeply alone. Here's what moved me so much about this Ethiopian shepherd. It was the song that she sings at the top of her lungs. And I realized, oh my gosh, of course, shepherds sing. That's what they do. Now I realize why we had the Psalter. Remember David? He was a shepherd. All these psalms, he must have found his voice through these long, frightening days. He must have composed many of these psalms as he walked with his flock. What did the song mean, I asked myself, to these sheep, this girl, this little girl? What did the song mean to them? And I, I think it means several things. It means presence. She's there to comfort them. They're not alone. It means power. She's there to defend them with her life. It means plan, that she will lead them through their challenges. And most of all, I think it means pleasure, that she delights in them. Not just the one who does what she wants, but all of them, even the quote-unquote, bad ones. I wonder if you know tonight that God is singing over you. Not the person next to you, over you. The Bible promises this. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, it says that the Lord your God is in your midst. He rejoices over you. He renews you in his love. He exalts over you with loud singing. Jesus is singing, in a sense, in John 14. I want to ask you to pull your Bibles back open because I want to look more particularly at this song that he's singing. It's on page 877. He wants them to know. Notice that he addresses the fundamental need that he will not abandon them. Uh, John 14, verse 18, he says, I will not leave you orphaned. Not going to abandon you. Yes, I'm leaving you, but I'm not going to abandon you. If you want to know how that's possible, you have to jump back up to verse 16. It's a very interesting phrase. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you, here's the phrase, another advocate to be with you forever. Another advocate to be with you forever. What does that mean? Who is this other advocate, and what does he do? Well, that word advocate is a hard word to translate into English. Many of our translations say counselor or comforter, helper, encourager, partner or ally. The Greek word is literally para, parakletos, which has two parts to it. Para means alongside, like parallel skis. Kletos comes from kalein, which means to call. So a parakletos is someone who's called alongside. And our translation is a good one where it says advocate because what we've learned is that the Greeks first used this word parakletos in the context of the courtroom. In their usage early on, uh, this was a person who was called alongside somebody in crisis, defending them in the courtroom and helping them to win the case. And so it's a good translation, but we ask, who is this other advocate? Well, let's look at the word another. The word another, uh, there are two words that John could have used to translate what Jesus is saying here. There are two Greek words that also mean other. 
One is heteros, which means uh, other of a different kind, and the other is alos, which means other of the same kind, and he chooses this one. Uh, other of the same kind. There's another advocate. It's a favorable comparison. Between two advocates, Jesus says, you're going to get another one. Now, who is this? Well, we don't really find out for sure until we get down to 26. Verse 26 there, Jesus says, but the advocate, that's our word parakletos, the comma, the Holy Spirit. Okay, there it is. The second advocate is the Holy Spirit. And if you keep reading that, you'll see that Jesus has a contrast, and it's hard to see in English, but the next word, whom, is in Greek literally that one, that one, meaning this second advocate, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I, and in Greek that I is emphatic, that I have said to you. So he says, there's another advocate, that one, the Holy Spirit, will teach you everything and remind you of everything I've said that I have said. In other words, I, the first advocate. So by the time we get to verse 26, we understand who these two advocates are. First advocate is Jesus. The second advocate is the Holy Spirit. Now, in what sense is Jesus an advocate? There's one other place, and only one other place, that Jesus is referred to as an advocate in the New Testament, and that is 1 John chapter 2, same writer, verses 1 and 2, where we read, If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So he's saying, here's the first advocate. It's Jesus. And in the courtroom of heaven, Jesus comes alongside you in crisis before God, and he defends you, and he helps you win the case. By the way, he does that not by appealing to your behavior, but by appealing to his behavior. That's grace. Now, remember, here, Jesus has said the second advocate will take everything that the first advocate has said and done, his word and his work, and remind you and teach you of all of that. So now, what does the second advocate, who is another of the same kind, do. Well, the Holy Spirit comes alongside of you in the midst of not the courtroom of heaven, but the courtroom of life. This life meets you in your crisis and gives defense for you so that you can win that case. It's interesting. The second advocate extends the ministry of the good shepherd into and through your life. He brings the gospel to life in your life. Everything that Jesus, the word and work of Jesus, we call the gospel. The Holy Spirit brings the gospel to life in your life. He teaches and reminds you of all that I have said, Jesus says. Here's the point. Let me just back up. Here's what I think Jesus is saying. With me in you, you are enough. You are enough. You are enough. Jesus looks around that room. Perhaps the wind was blowing through the windows. The evening is late. The wicks are short. The light is flickering. He looks into the faces of his exhausted, discouraged friends. And he says, dear friends, you are not alone. I'm going to ask the Father to unleash the very wind of heaven, the breath of God, into the depths of your being. God is singing over you, and he will soon be singing within you. With Jesus, we're enough before God, and with the Holy Spirit, we are more than enough for life. This summer when I was in sabbatical, I had a conversation with a friend of mine, and I was kind of complaining. I was in my self-pity party, and I said, you know, sometimes I just feel like I'm not enough. And he said to me, George, when you say that, do you mean you're not enough by yourself or you're not enough with Jesus? 
And I was like, ouch. <laughs> I did not see that coming. Um, I kind of thought the equation was George plus Jesus is less than enough. And so Jesus is kind of a fixed constant in the equation. The only thing I could do is keep making myself better if I want to up the other side of the equation, right? And he's going, that's just the wrong equation. This is not about you and what you do for God. This is about God and what he does in you. Discipleship is the spirit-led process of moving the gospel to the center of your life. It's not about religious performance. I like what Francis Chan says. If it were about religious performance, then the Pharisees would be the heroes of discipleship. They were awesome at that. But they were just the opposite of what Jesus understood discipleship to be about. That's why yielding to the Spirit is our second discipleship marker, yielding to the Spirit. So I have a, another photo for you. That is a yield sign. Now, when you see that sign, what do you do? Nothing, right? I know. But what are you supposed to do when you see that sign? What you're supposed to do is make space. You're at an intersection, right? You're supposed to make space for someone else. That's what it means to yield. You're supposed to give someone else first access to the intersection. You're giving somebody else right of way. You're curbing your will in favor of the will of another. Sheep that will flourish, no, they ought to yield to a good shepherd. They just know that. They come to a place and the good shepherd says, lie down. And they say, I don't want to lie down. I, I'm full of energy now. I've got places to go and things to do. And the shepherd says, lie down. Well, the flourishing sheep will, will yield and will lie down when he says so because they know that this shepherd always makes them to lie down in green pastures. And then there are other times where the shepherd will come and he'll say, now get up and follow me. And they say, we don't want to. We like green pastures. We're happy right here. Thank you very little. And yet the flourishing sheep will yield to the shepherd and will get up and will follow. Why? Because they know this good shepherd always leads them beside still waters. See. So the question is really about trust. Do you trust me? That's why Jesus says everything he does about love and commandments. The question is really, do you trust me? Now, let me tell you one more thing about this Ethiopian shepherd that really struck me, and it's that she told our guide she sang because she was afraid. Now, that's interesting to me, and that breaks open Monday Thursday for me because I realized for the first time that on Monday Thursday, Jesus is afraid. I really believe that. It's hard to think that, but I think Jesus is afraid. Not that. He's not just afraid for, for his sheep, for us. He's afraid for himself. Jesus knows what's going to happen outside of that room. He knows they're going to come for him with torches and clubs and knives, and the fear is real. He's going to ask his friends to stay up and to pray for him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and they will not. They will fail him. He will be abandoned. He'll be very much alone. He understands something of the cross, and I think the fear of the cross is not so much just the physical torture, which is unbelievable, but I think his real fear is emotional and spiritual. It's this idea that he might be hanging there and he might be looking up to heaven for relief to his heavenly father and he'll find out and he looks into God's eyes that he's not enough, that he's alone. Which is, of course, what happens. Remember, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He turns to the Psalter and sings a shepherd's song. In that moment, the Son of God has, le has been left an orphan on the cross. He's been abandoned. He's alone. 
And we ask, why did that happen? It happened for you and for me. Jesus was abandoned so that you never have to be by God. Jesus took our place of abandonment existentially alone so that we could take his place of belovedness in this eternal family, Father, Son, and Spirit. So yes, we can trust him. This is the truly good shepherd. You know, this week, that moment I told you about when I was feeling not enough, I realize now that I was at an intersection. And I had to decide, would I rush into that intersection thinking that I was alone and go on my way just as I had come? Or would I yield to the Holy Spirit and wake up to the reality that I have a good shepherd? I think Jesus was saying to me, George, with me and you, you are enough. Would you allow my Holy Spirit to come? Give him your emptiness, and he will fill it with his fullness. Give him your weakness, and he will fill it with your strength. Give him your barrenness, and he will bring forth his fruit in your life. My wife and I are trying to live intentionally in a missional community in our neighborhood. We're aspiring to be a family of neighbors who belong to one another, who bless one another, uh, and who become who we're called to become. And it was somebody in that community that met me in the midst of my discouragement with a song and shared a few uh, words from a hymn that I'd like to close with, hoping it'll be an encouragement to you as well. It's an old hymn. Listen to these words. He giveth more grace when the burden grows greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, he multiplies peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in wonder and adoration, tonight we come again to bow before you. Tonight we join the company of those first shepherds who heard the first proclamation of the good news. We pray that this gospel will break open our hard hearts and that your spirit will come and Make his home in us, that we might be your people, to know we're not alone and to share hope with a world that needs to know that they're not alone either. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org audio Email audio at upc.org or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.